that's what you guys should should call the podcast. I'm not Steve Kerr. Oh, <laughs> we totally blew it. You can we still have- change the name. I mean, that hasn't come out yet. So <laughs> that way, people will be like, "What is this? I'm not Steve Kerr." They'll they'll be thinking it's some kind of like political statement, but no. Yeah, I had to play it again. I don't know if uh, all of you out there listen to our new podcast that Scott and I, uh, our bonus podcast, I should say, that, that we put out yesterday about changing the name. It's no longer from the tips. It's now I'm not Steve Kerr. So this is technically, we're just continuing from the tips. This is now episode eight, but we wanted to go with the name change. If you want to know the exact reasons why, well, we'll just go back and click on that bonus episode, but same content, same topics, all the same stuff, just a new name. Uh, hopefully it sparks your interest a little bit, but look who we've got with us today for episode eight. It's my man, Carrie Keating, who I've worked with on and off for years. Scott is also here. Scott's in Park City. Carrie coming to us from San Jose. I'm up near Yosemite in Mariposa, California, and we're going to talk a lot of things today, but, but first and foremost, guys, Clay Thompson, okay, right? I, from what I understand, I mean, th- this was happening yesterday. Word that uh, he, he came back from that ACL from the finals in the left leg. Now it's the right leg in a pickup game on NBA draft day. He's supposed to be getting an MRI right now as we're talking. It is Thursday morning, November 19th. They get James Wiseman with the second pick, who I was saying all along I thought they should take. Hopefully he pans out. But, guys, what do you think about, about this news? Of uh, Hopefully it's not horrible for the Warriors, and if it is, trouble again, huh? Well, that's trouble of the highest order. I mean, you couldn't yeah. have any worse news other than knock on wood, something happening to the staff at this point. I mean, we all know out here, Colin and Scott, you know, how indispensable Clay is. I mean, clearly if he doesn't get hurt, on that layup, you know, look, hindsight's twenty twenty, but they were on their way and momentum was on their side, especially with the momentum that he carries to change games and series as had happened before to win that championship against Toronto. I, I only have one report and, and, you know, Twitter is the source of all things that are good right now, as we well know. <laughs> all things uh, but good. But there is someone out there. That I, I'm not, I can't quote him as a source. I'm not into a source guy. I say who it is, but in this case, there is at least one person who would be in the know who thinks he's torn his Achilles. Now, that's yep. not a, a, a hot take or a report or, or a breaking news, but it seems that it's in that realm of the lower leg extremity, and it yeah. could possibly be. And we've been through, through that before. I've been through that with Larry before, Colin. We were sitting there watching games, and we saw the knee, and you speculate. But mm-hmm. any injury right now is bad news. And, and man, what, what a blow for what should be a great night. And picking up some pretty good assets in the draft that the Warriors did last night. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's probably people don't talk about when it comes to Clay is his ability on the defensive end too, and obviously having that that level of leadership. I mean, everybody knows about his shooting prowess, but um, having that level of leadership um, in the gym and uh, his ability to, to defend so well um, just brings so much to that team, and not having that now is, uh, yeah, like you said, such a blow. Well, I was thinking it's the opposite of DeMarcus Cousins, right? DeMarcus blew the Achilles, came back from that, and then he blew out his knee. It's it's interesting that this is, you know, the two guys in the NBA this has happened to, both with ties to the Warriors and uh, Clay. I mean, you know him really well, too, Kerry. He's just, uh, he's the coolest dude. He's the coolest cat. Um, always positive, you know, uh, com- as competitive a guy as you'll ever come across, and uh, it's just... 
I don't know. For me, you know, obviously you're covering the Warriors for so long and you kind of become a fan of these guys as, as people first and foremost. And I just feel so bad if, if it is what, what is being speculated, like you said, the Achilles, um, that this could shut him down for another year. And just the, the comeback, he's not getting any younger. Um, is not going to be easy for him. But, but outside of that, Wiseman, what, what do you guys think of that pick at number two? I mean, a, a big body that uh, everyone says is the ceiling is unlimited. I, I was with Larry on this march about Obi Toppin for obviously. Yeah, I know. Reasons, you man. like Toppin, I, I know. The one, I wasn't the one pushing it on him. He was a fan, and I, I was too. You know, I don't want to harp on Clay's deal too much, guys, but, but there's so many ramifications and directions to take that incident and the existence of Clay for me, having worked in college basketball for 25 years, having recruited, having seen this evolution, what's happening potentially right now with – the slow death of the NCAA, and, and it's very real. If they don't have a tournament this year, we are very much going to go through a complete overhaul of what we know as NCAA basketball and athletics in terms of the structure. And the reason why I tie that back to Clay is, and, and not a lot of people, I kind of pride myself on seeing these little things that kind of happen that just kind of go by the wayside. But last night when the kid from USC got drafted, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys remember this. You probably didn't know who it was. There was a guy standing behind the couch just draping himself all over. Uh, I don't know how you say it. Okanu, I don't know how you, how you pronounce his name. Yeah. So it's his AAU coach. Okay. So yeah. You think it was his dad. It's his AAU coach. Okay. Scott, this is why even more than what you said, I think Clay is so valuable. He may be one of, if not the last bastion of no frills superstars. And I'm talking superstars, not guys that – Otto Porter that are making 27 million or Kelly Olynyk making 13 million. And oh, by the way, that's why those guys are draped all over these kids. That's life-changing money for five generations of five families. Mm -hmm. You just think about the money that that's involved in this right now and the values and all of this tying into the changing landscape. It's like, you know, the Nor'easter, those three storms coming together at the one time to create the perfect storm. I'd say 2021 is going to be revolutionary and a change that's going to affect basketball, I think, maybe forever in how kids are developed, brought into the NBA, the, 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 the loss of, of guys like Clay. Clay, was, Clay played on an AAU team. Look, I had Clay coming on a visit to Santa Clara in the first week of September. Hmm. Once Washington State called and it was the first Pac-12 school, it was over. Yeah. Like, you know, we had Paul George committed at Santa Clara before he got messed with, ended up at Fresno State. <laughs> we turned down Damian Lillard to take some kid out of San Diego at the time, and that was just a hindsight bad move. <laughs> but my point is there are kids like that out there, but they're now going to now go by the wayside. There, those, there will be very rarely hidden gems like that. And Clay, Clay to me is transcendent in that sense, Scott, Colin, in that his value on the court is immeasurable. His value off the court is even – more immeasurable because there is nothing you have to worry about with him except what time the game is at, what time practice is at. And that's it. So an injury is of the highest order. I mean, any little thing is going to take these kids now off track. I mean, I, I look at some of these guys like I'm not going to downplay the guys that got drafted, but all the hype on, on LaMelo Ball is about his talent. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with his mental and, and emotional ability, which, by the way, it is nowhere near where it needs to be to be a top three pick. And because mm -hmm. I've seen that evolution since he was in fifth grade, playing on a team, AAU team, being hyped up to just throw the ball up as far as he could, calling it a shot, playing with his older brothers who were, you know, five, six, seven years older. It's just, 
there's so much to unwrap in all this, man. I, I think Clay's injury can have so many trickle-down effects into the overall landscape. But most of all, you got a, a decision if you're Joe Lacob. Like, you got to make some, you got to make some really hard decisions right now regarding Clay and his future and his financial stability within the team because he's, as we know, he's not going to wait another year. He's already put a $30 million plan in to mitigate COVID to have fans to try to right. get some, yeah. some, uh, some value back. So, this is a big week coming up to find out what happens and then what also else they can do as a result of the draft to pick up some assets. What does this do to a guy like Wiseman as well? Or is the organization there in Golden State, um, you know, strong enough to, to overcome this? I mean, ha- like I said, having a guy like Clay in the gym is, is so beneficial to everyone on that team. Um, will, will this hamper Wiseman's development at all? Um, how, does, how does that play into it? I think so. I, I think they wanted Wiseman with an intact roster. And you have an all-star, one of the best two guards, if not the best two guard in the league, right? And now you take Wiseman where you've been basically committing that position and committing it successfully. So as, as, as the league moves towards guards and positionless, you still want to have a rim protector. You still want to have a rim runner, a screen and roll. If he steps out and shoots threes or 15 footers, great. But he's a body to give you size that is going to clog up the lane. And that's what Wiseman really brings the value. So it's less offensive and more defensive. I think the move, Scott, is going to be maybe to find more of an offensive, bigger player. I hate to say big, but some front court player because they're going to need to have that firepower because I don't know if they can replace it at the two guard financially or ability wise if Clay is still on the roster and rehabbing. I, I, that, to be honest with you, you know, I think that the shift pick, if they knew about this in time, would have been to take a guy like Topping because he's more offensively gifted than Wiseman. And then just find the body to be the defensive guy as a stopgap because this is we're not used to having the Warriors number two in the draft. That's a very <laughs> interesting position to be in when you're a contender <laughs> like that. And it, it kind of puts their draft pr- pr- uh, preparation collectively from the last, from, from the entire Bob Myers era, in my opinion, kind of on blast. Like, all right, you got, you, you made this decision, but as a GM, you have to have some, you have to drop the emotion that Bob obviously has in spades, drop the emotion and get four or five steps ahead. How does this fit into the bigger picture? Right? So I think it very much does affect him, Scott. And I'd really be curious if, you know, if they do keep him, if not trade him, if, they, if that can even happen. But what else they pick up to surround him as a result of potentially not having Clay? It's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a big week coming up, I think, for that front office. Well, it's interesting you talk about Obi Toppin because I think Colin and I were talking the other day about this draft and who's in it. And really the only person I could speak to was him because he's the only one that I saw play. I mean, a lot of these guys, you don't get a chance to see they're, they're whether they're high school age or they played overseas. Uh, But Toppin was a guy I watched a couple times last year. And I just thought, Oh my God, this guy is so polished and just has all the skills, has the body. Um, And so uh, to me, to see him go all the way down to eight was, was a surprise. The the anti-hype player to me is the valuable one. Fred Van Vliet, winner in college, undrafted, millionaire, champion. This kid will be topping late bloomer. Jimmy Butler is a great example. Jimmy Butler signed his letter of intent in a McDonald's. Like he's like, there are that to me, that's the guy. If I'm a front office guy, I, I, I see the obvious. I, I find the fit. I do my interview process. I check the mentals, as our guy Marshawn likes to say. 
He's going to have his chicken, as Marshawn likes to say. <laughs> but what's his edge? Like, like, like what, is, what does he stand for? Where does he come from? Not just from a familial standpoint, but from an upbringing. Ha- has he been in uh, a coddled structure where things go wrong? Oh, I switched teams. Like, I was watching a little bit of, of the EYBL thing on Fox last night, and they had a, a retrospective look at the, at the uh, R.J. Hampton deal. R.J. Hampton played one session in Peach Jam, he played with Jermaine O'Neal, a former pro, great mentor for him. His dad's a little over the top, always coached him. Now he's not coaching. They go 0-4 in the first trip. And what does he do? Oh, I'm going to New Zealand. I'm out later. Like, hey, to me, that look, talent can overcome a lot of deficiencies. But I think if this, this is why some of these teams are constantly in that rut of being in the same position over and over and over again. And to your point, Scott, I, I, I liked Obi Topping for the flash, the dunks, the stretchability, his size. His, his, he was the number one seed at Dayton Player of the Year. Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes these NBA guys overlook that stuff. Like, it's so easy to overlook, but you can't overvalue it. I, I, now, he's with the Knicks, which have their own issues. But he's a <laughs> yeah. New York kid, you saw the emotion because he's from New York. Yeah. So they may actually have started their march the next decade to have some relevancy if, knock on what he stays healthy and does become that guy that came up through the ranks as he moves to the pro ranks. <laughs> well, talking well, as back, long as no one's the, there, who knows? Yeah, getting back to the Warriors, <laughs> they do have that 17 million. I know that that kind of trade exception that, that they can spend, and we'll see what they do with that. But you know, we, we titled retitled this uh, podcast. I'm not Steve Kerr, and Steve Kerr. Everyone said last year was going to be his toughest coaching job ever. Well, you know, we thought he'd get a lot of these if Clay was healthy and putting all the pieces together, a, a chance to make another run. I, he's he's going to have to dig in right away uh, here soon. I doubt we're going to get Steve on the podcast now. <laughs> he's going to be way too busy. But, um, Kerry, just because we, we got right into this and Clay, I want to just give, let people know about your history. Obviously, I covered you when I was in the media uh, at ABC7. You were the head coach at Santa Clara for nine seasons. Had a great run with the Broncos. Before that, assistant at UCLA. You were assistant uh, you know, under Ben Howland. You were assistant at Tennessee under uh, Buzz Peterson. Um, but, but Scott and I want to go way back to Seton Hall because we were really in the college hoops growing up it was our main uh our main sport our main uh uh thing that that we like to watch even more than nba back then and we recorded all the final fours man the seton hall team that played michigan in the title game you were there in 89 night were you there were you a freshman on that team or did you come the year after remind me i was a senior i was a senior in high school Okay. And mm-hmm. I had just decided in that spring, because I got rejected from Chapel Hill, there was only two kids from my school that applied to Chapel Hill, and the other guy got in. Um, I yeah. decided to stay home and go to Seton Hall. My dad was the AD. I had known PJ since I was two. I went to Seton Hall to play baseball, and hmm. because I was a way better baseball player than ever at basketball, and I went to go oh, play wow. baseball. Keep in mind, Seton Hall, the year before, Craig Biggio, Martise Robinson, player of the year with Robin Ventura in the country, played first base, got drafted by the A's. Mo Vaughn, John Valentin, Dana Barrow, Dana, Dana White, center fielder for the Red Sox at College World Series. So the baseball team was rolling. Wow. And I'm like, well, heck, I mean, I'm tuition remission. I'm going for free. Let's do it. And uh, I, so I decided that spring to go. We went out to Seattle. I was a senior in high school. So I sat front row, was with the team, obviously, because wow. my dad was the AD. And I stayed for a week. I went, I went two days before and stayed three days after. Here's a great story for you. I the think coaches, I know this one. Does this, invo- does this involve a hotel and some, some beers? 
There you go. A lot of them. <laughs> this is a great story. This is story. how you get real education. This, this is, is a this great is real story. education, guys. It's the street knowledge <laughs> and fending for yourself in a big city when everyone else around you is euphoric over the Final Four. We took over FX McCorry's. PJ's brother, Kevin, yeah. bought out the bar. It was the unofficial Seton Hall headquarters. So if any of you ever been up there, FX McCorry's in yep. the corner Legendary. the kingdom. Huge bar, you know, the, the big whiskey and, and gin and, and a wall. Like it was, and I'm 17 years old thinking like I'm, I'm a big kahuna, right? I'm like, I got, I, I'm nothing. I'm just here to, for the ride. But I'm with PJ's youngest brother, who was a senior in college at the time. All his buddies from Fordham are there. So you have the whole Fordham crew where PJ is the alum. I got, everyone's there, right? We were, had the shortage of hotels because the team has only so many. I take Rod Baker's hotel, Rod Baker. Uh, now scout for the Sixers, our assistant coach, they get the NABC hotels. So Corey, PJ's younger brother and I, um, are staying in Rod's room. Well, he had already basically sent that bill because it was a reimbursable deal before they made the Final Four to my dad's assistant, my dad was the AD in charge of budget, uh, Mr. Murphy. So we end up staying two days after, extend the room, charge everything to the room i mean like <laughs> you name it all of the food i mean it's room service like living like a king and like even though we lost in the finals we're up on the rooftop the next day in the hot tub with champagne like it's the greatest thing ever right <laughs> and the first thing i did like i get off the plane i literally like it took me maybe a record amount of time to get from newark airport to, to, to seton hall i walked right in the office just like hey hey it's beeline right to me hey hey, hey. close the door mr murphy um Rod Baker um, uh, had, had, a, had, a, had a bill in his hotel room. And he looks at me, he's like, yeah, 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 we got to no, 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 hold on. Rod Baker stayed in the Sheridan for a week. He had, he had some people, some family staying in there. He's like, no, no. It's like, okay, are we clear on this? And I'm winking at him. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 we got that. No problem. Yeah, no problem. So my dad never saw the bill and, and, and like, knew that we charged, like, $3,000 to Rod Baker <laughs> on room. It's the greatest, greatest spring break I've ever had and the only really spring break I've ever had. Jeez, how big would it have, how big would it have been if they'd actually won? We might still be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Damn you, John Clockerty. <laughs> oh, God, terrible call. I actually, I actually rewatched that game not too long ago. I think it was this spring when March Madness was canceled. I thought, oh, I'm going to go back and watch some old ones and uh, found a semi-decent recording on YouTube of that game. And, man, two things stood out to me was just obviously how bad that call was, and we, we knew it at the time, um, but just to be reminded of it and then just how good Johnny Morton was. Holy cow. Yeah, he was fantastic. What a great guy, too. Um, that team was built from the ground up with local New York kids. That class, Gerald Green, Daryl Walker, Daryl Walker, Ramos, who tragically got yep. in an unbelievable bad accident playing for the Trailblazers. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course, John Morton, Andrew Gaze. My dad pulled off mm -hmm. the Andrew Gaze deal because his team was coming over with his dad on the foreign tours in, in, the, in the fall. They developed a relationship with Lindsay, and my dad crafted this whole thing before all these rules started to get Andrew. Uh, to come over for a year. Uh, he basically, Andrew, matter of fact, Andrew may have been back in Melbourne before I got back to Jersey. <laughs> I mean, I was, he didn't, he, he didn't even, I don't think he even went back to New Jersey. As soon as the tournament was over, he, he, he went He's back out. To, to Australia. Little, yeah. little known fact, he finished his studies 
and mailed it in from Australia. So it was the true one and done gun for hire. And I tell you what, Scott, if he had had any, um, if he had half of the game that he had had prior to that, yeah, we would have won yeah. that game easy. Yeah, he, he, struggled. He, he struggled in that game. He really, yep. he, he struggled. That was the one game he struggled in. But played well against was it Duke in the game before? Yeah. Oh yeah, played great in the whole tournament. He was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And what a great guy. I mean, I'm I'm talking like yeah. you you take a group of city kids and you raise them from the ground up through all the struggles, pick seventh preseason, win, you know, win 31 games, and you have to add a foreigner in. Like now, that's like commonplace. Then it's like, whoa, that, that guy can mm-hmm. easily. And you got to understand something. Andrew Gaze is like the Larry Bird of Australia. Yeah. So he could have easily come in with an ego like, hey, guys, this is my show. Like, you know, in my bad Australian accent. <laughs> but seamless, flawless. I mean, just it couldn't have been a better group. Uh, I was proud to be semi-associated with him because I was the ball boy, uh, you know, when they were coming up when I was in high school. But to be there front row, uh, to be behind the scenes, um, you know, made, it, it validated my decision to stay home and go there. And then we had a great run when I was there. Three Big East uh, championship appearances, two titles, uh, lead eight, sweet 16. And, and unfortunately got upset in the second round my senior year. Yeah, but you, so you only played, you were walk, you ended up being a walk-on. So you decided not to do baseball. You went with basketball. Um, but then you, you figured out, what, after a year, like, no, being PJ on the side t- for me. Oh, he decided for you, but you stayed involved <laughs> is what I'm saying. You stayed on as part of the part of the squad in what role? So my, he ended my baseball career as soon as he had about five or six of the, of the practice players on that final four team leave and they needed bodies. So he convinced me. And by the way, Mr. Murphy's son, we were classmates together, Mike Murphy to walk on. The caveat for me was because I was going to go to Carolina to play on the JV team and work my way into coaching. Mm. and just be a part of it. And, and I didn't want to say I want to be a manager. I wanted to be more involved on the coaching front. Well, what my dad and PJ had arranged was with a company called Lafayette Instruments who had developed an interface to connect computers to uh, super VHS VCRs. Mm. And uh, once that was ready, which would have been my sophomore year, I was the video coordinator for Seton Hall as a sophomore in college. So I got three years head start as a staff member, stopped playing, and I was what now is a commonplace position. I mean, Eric Spolster right. started his career as a video coordinator for Miami. I was yeah. the first ever uh, video coordinator to use a computer to edit VHS tape. Hmm. And I did it on, on, on four 1960s and one output and a Lafayette interface. And I developed a, a Windows dropdown with this crew and hotkeys and actually went in and did a little bit of a sales form on the side. And uh, it's funny <laughs> how life comes full circle and my technological prowess of being the first ever video coordinator to use a computer uh, now I'm working in, in technology directly after finishing a coaching career unceremoniously five years ago. So, yeah, life comes full circle, I guess. But it, I, I loved it. It was awesome. It was, it was great for me because I got to live with the players and hear them bitch about the coaches and then stay in all the staff meetings and hear them bitch about the players. And I just sit there like Switzerland and learn the whole, the whole trick of the trade. It was awesome. <laughs> well, you've obviously you talk about that and, and starting there and, and where life is today. I mean, I know you told me you're moving to Raleigh next week. You're getting out of the Bay Area, good for you. Uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, great town. Um, but you've been involved, you know, we worked uh, obviously recently with Hot Mike, which I went to out of uh, TV. Uh, you're with Task Human now. How, I guess my question is, how have you been able to transition when you're, you're coaching, coaching, coaching for so many years? And even right when you left Santa Clara, you, you were scouting for the Houston Rockets. Uh, you bridged into TV, which I thought was mo- one of the, the, the most... Uh, 
I guess I would say the one of the easiest transitions I've ever seen from a coach going into an analyst position. It was like you were made for it, but you also are doing this business development roles with multiple companies. How did you go from coaching to that? Were you doing stuff while you were coaching? Were you thinking things along uh, those lines that when my coaching days end, I might want to do this? What? I never thought my coaching days were ever going to end, to be okay. honest with you. I, know, I thought I'd be doing it till I was done and, 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 and maybe not ever till I was done. Um, I never anticipated being, I always had an eye for technology as the aforementioned start back in the late 80s with the, with the video coordinator role. And then I, I figured out technology as it came along, uh, was not smart enough to insert myself in early beta tests that I was willing to do for my program at Seton Hall at Santa Clara, more for budget reasons than for development reasons. Um, but I, I kind of got drawn to it and got invited into it by an Intel executive whose kids were in our camp at Santa Clara in a company that was um, developing fiber optic uh, cable to diffuse light out instead of keeping it in like we know traditional fiber optic cable. So it was a laser lit fiber optic cable that could stretch for miles, not lose its luminosity, was pliable and could bend it to 10 millimeter diameter. It's only 900 microns thin. I actually uh, took it another step, Colin. I, I, I got and was issued and wrote my first patent two months after I got fired to put uh, this light into a basketball floor in a hockey rink for discovery of shot clocks. Hmm. And I don't know if you probably don't remember this, the biggest coup, and you'll appreciate this, Colin, the biggest coup I pulled off was in that first year, I was co-hosting the pregame radio show on 95.7 with, with Damon. Yeah, yeah. I was scouting for the Rockets at those games. I essentially told Larry and, 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 and Casey I'd be willing to go on and ended up doing that later in the season. I was also working full-time for this company with the fiber optics called Versaloom as a sports strategist consultant. And I ended up befriending as, as a part of being in the arena early, the pregame shear uh, uh, team who was out doing their, their uh, Franco Finn and, and the mm -hmm. gal that was right. And mm -hmm. I actually made four pregame flags with the blue fiber sewn in around them. And in game one of the finals, when they ran out that year with the lights out, if you watch it again, you'll see the four guys come out with the big yellow flags with blue laser fiber around them hmm. without any official contract with the Warriors. I just did it and gave it to them. <laughs> and, and the best part about it was I almost got thrown out of the arena because I also made a hat, a Warriors, a Warriors uh, snapback with the blue fiber on the brim. And I, and I wanted E40 to wear it because he was on the baseline. So I talked to the guy pregame when we're all, you know, you're all around the court kind of yeah. you know, BSing a little bit. And I had to go in the back and get it. And I, I, I snuck around towards the end. I was trying to give it to him. And the security guard, like, almost yanked me back. Almost had, like, a little Messiah incident going on right oh, there. Wow. Like, who the hell is this guy? I don't care if you have credentials. And I had to give the hat to E40 so he could wear it. So I, I – I think it's just a matter of forward thinking. One thing that I prided myself on, Colin, was being four years ahead in recruiting and six years ahead in, in scheduling and always trying to just have an, a vision of what the future would need to be in our program. And I think I just naturally drawn to how technology can do that. And part of the, the shift into, I would, I would call it consulting, but the advising was to go to these events. I was able to go to CES a couple of times, kind of insert myself into the technological landscape, just kind of figure it out. You know, it's kind of like coaching. You get out the road, you figure it out. Mm -hmm. You, know, you got to have a guy, you develop guys, develop relationships. We had a cool product that was visually stunning. It drew people to you and you just develop relationships. 
I found that a lot of this, the entrepreneurial flow was, was consistent with developing a team. The build, I love to see the grind from zero to 100 and how things get started and not everything does. One out of 10 is the acceptable rate. For me, it's gotta be nine out of 10. So you push towards that. To coach the CEOs, to develop more of the connections that we had. I mean, this is something that I specifically set out to take that 25 year Rolodex and say, that's valuable. Like, yeah. I, like it's amazing the reaction I got from these guys. Like, wait, you know that guy? Wait, you can call that guy? You can get right. us in here? Like, yeah, just pick up the phone. And then I realized they, they will pay for that or, or develop value for that by way of shares or advisory or roles. Or it's just, to me, it's part of the chase, part of the grind. There's so much stuff going on out here. And, and look, you're in the middle of it. Why not take advantage of it? So it, it ended up being seamless. They're doing 10 things at once was a little tough. Uh, I traveled more than that first year than I ever had in a year before in coaching, which says a lot for as much as travel as you were doing. But I was constantly learning, learning about how to raise money, learning how to develop product, learning how to say no, you know, learn, learning how to figure out, you know, where to pick your battles and developing a product and a business. Uh, it's just like you're, you're building a team. And, and you know what I love the most about it is if I know a thousand guys, make up a number, if I know a thousand guys in tech right now, 995 of them don't know my first name. They all call me coach. Hmm, yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> the coolest thing ever. So I am nowhere near the level of Bill Campbell, <laughs> but I certainly feel and understand what Bill did in a time of need coming from coaching at Columbia and coaching these executives. And I kind of envision myself, if I stay in this in the next 10 years, developing more of a chance to do that. We've branched out through some cannabis. We've branched out into sport tech. We've branched out into, there's a company that, that I got hooked up with that's developing technology that's going to put your mobile phone in a contact lens. I mean, to see that happen at the very beginning and to see the <laughs> development and know where it can go, to see the, no pun intended, vision of that, it's, just, it's the chase. It, it's just like trying to go sign Russell Westbrook or hide Russell Westbrook for a year and you know, sign Kevin Love and make it to the Final Four and stand around with 80,000 people in the Final Four. Like, man, this is awesome. And you have a chance to do that with these companies now being the center, but not just in 80,000 people, but potentially the world. And with, you know, with Taskum, we're trying to serve 2 billion people. And it can do that. It's capable. And to see it start to do that, it's pretty cool. Yeah, Task Human, very cool. We've got uh, about a minute and a half. Real quick, though, uh, the one that got away, James Harden. Give us that story real no, quick. I, I never saw him play in high school. I was, I was uber-focused on Kevin Love in that 07 year. We had two scholarships. I was going after Kevin Love and Kyle Singler. I had, I had stashed Russell for obvious reasons. And um, I never saw James Harden. April 5th, we're at the, at the Wooden Award dinner, downtown LA at the Marriott. And he comes up to me, he's like, hey coach, what's up with the scholarship? And I, I had no answer. Anyone else I would have said, yeah, I'm by. it's not my choice, it's Ben's choice. I said, see that guy right there? Go ask him. And he never got in touch with Ben. And we, ne we, had, we, we literally could have taken him right, yeah, we'll take it right now. We could have James and Kevin Love in the same class. Now, three Final Fours in a row and the guys we had, still pretty good. Yeah, but yeah. there's always one that gets away and it was James Harden. Coach, wow. hey, uh, yeah, it's uh, some amazing stories. Sorry that we got to – I told you we'd go through this fast. We only got a certain amount of time. We keep it quick. But, hey, you're well, our first guest. Whenever you want. I, I know. Hey, we will. Next time. We will. We will, man. We'll hit you up again. Uh, really appreciate you. Uh, the friendship that we've created in the last few years has been, uh, been really cool. And, um, you know, I know we talk a lot just uh, uh, all the time anyway. So appreciate you being our first guest on I'm Not Steve Kerr podcast. We'll be back with other episodes soon. Scott, you got one final word? Great to meet you, Coach, and good luck with the move. <laughs>
Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Let's stay in touch. Let's do it again. Sounds good. Take care, coach. Thanks, guys.